Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank and the Sage of Sales, Chris Beal with all things market dominant oriented. So today, Chris, we were chatting a little bit yesterday after your appearance on Sales 3.0 with our friend uh, Gerhard. So we can certainly talk about that. But I think a little uh, piece of peanut butter that was stuck to the roof of our mouth that you and I kind of riffed on before this was this topic of sales and marketing alignment. And you, you're very kind and you let me kind of wax philosophical for a while, a few minutes. You're an excellent listener. And then you very respectfully and gracefully said, you know, Corey, sales and marketing alignment is a myth. And I said, well, that's a topic for our podcast. What do you mean by that, Chris? Sales and marketing is a myth. I thought sales and marketing alignment is the goal, is the reality. Companies like Serious Decisions make a living off of that type of data. So let's start there. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, sales and marketing alignment as an issue has an assumption. And the assumption is actually the inverse assumption. That is, if sales and marketing were aligned, and by sales and marketing alignment, people mean, do they share the same goals? Do they have the same metrics? The metrics interlock. So if marketing does their thing, and they do as much of their thing as they have committed to the company to do, and if sales does their thing, and they do enough with marketing's leads that they generate, their marketing qualified leads, as they've committed to do, then all good things happen. But there's one good thing that doesn't happen, and that is information flow coming back from sales attempts to turn marketing qualified leads into actual sales opportunities and marketing's attempts to go out and get more marketing qualified leads. That is, it's an open loop process. And the reason it's an open loop process is twofold. One is just raw. And that is only about 9% at maximum of marketing qualified leads of MQLs are ever spoken with, ever have an actual human conversation. Wait, wait, wait. I just want to make sure my mic's on properly. Did you say 9%? How'd you get to 9%? It sounds like a very specific number. You didn't say, the Chris Beal I know doesn't say around something. He says specifically 9%. So I'm sure there's a mathematical formula behind that. There is. And there's also a, a set of observations. I once asked John Neeson this question. I called him up. John Neeson's one of the founders of Serious Decisions. I was a customer, client, I suppose what you'd call us. And, you know, we were having fun talking about a bunch of things with the Serious Decision folks, Jason Heckel in particular, christening the connect and sell weapon as the Iron Man suit of business, which I really like. And I I think we continue to riff on that through the years that I think Jerry Hill talks about this a lot of the Avengers. There's only one who's actually just human, like the rest of us. And that's, right. uh, that's Tony Stark. And what does he do? He puts on the Iron Man suit. 
and yet he is you know the the one most likely to save your planet when it's in trouble or whatever mm-hmm. it is avengers mm-hmm. do for a living i've uh, been enjoying the relationship with serious decisions but i really felt like i wasn't getting a lot of fresh information during this one period it's a long time ago and so i i called up john neeson and i said hey john I got a question. I've done this kind of work in my head, and I had. It had been from 1 in the morning until about 2.30 in the morning, lying there in bed, calculating in my little pea brain. And I have a number in mind, and I'm wondering if the number has anything to do with what you're observing. And the number I'm curious about is, what is the conversation coverage of MQLs, of marketing's output in terms of lead? In particular, what is the maximum conversation coverage you've ever seen as a firm? among your clients. And he said, 9%. And I said, that's interesting because my theoretical maximum is 9%. And he said, well, how do you calculate your way to 9%? I said, oh, it's easy. The policy for most sales groups that are doing anything with inbound leads is they're going to call them to try to get a conversation and they're going to call them six times. The fact is they call them two times And each one of those calls has a one in 22 chance of generating a conversation. So two in 22 is one in 11, right? And one in 11 is, well, 9%. It's actually a slightly different number, but close enough. If you start throwing all them decimal points out there, people get kind of, Mm -hmm. 9% it is. And I said, so, you know, I asked him, is this for real? Like you don't ever see anybody with 36% or 21% or what he says, no. No, and I asked him, does that mean what I think it means? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, does that mean that 91% of all marketing budgets are pure waste? And there was a long pause. And he said, I, I would prefer not to answer that question. So <laughs> that was where the conversation ended. And I agreed with him. Answering that question wouldn't be good for anybody. But I thought about it, and I came up with this analogy. I'd just been with the family to Scotland. And we've been over to the Isle of Skye. And you know, Corey, I, I do not despise a good single malt whiskey that comes my way. <laughs> at least three I, fingers, four fingers. Yes, you've been. Uh, I, I don't turn up my nose at it. In fact, I tend to put my nose fairly close to it as part of the mm-hmm. process of enjoying mm-hmm. it. And we've been over to the Isle of Skye and visited the Talisker Distillery. And, you know, a nice family event. Both of my boys were old enough to visit the Telesker Distillery at that point, just barely. Had they been in the U.S., this wouldn't have worked out so great. But we were in Scotland, so it was just fine. So we drove down one of those little one-lane roads. You know, the kind where you have to pull off to let somebody go by. And they have the big poles that are showing you in the, you know, in the distance, the distance being about two or 300 yards away where the next pull-off mm-hmm. is. We went down to the bay, came back, went to the, to the uh, Talisker Distillery, and watched them making the Talisker. And they make it in two buildings. So in one building, they have what is really beer, I suppose they call it the mother liquor. And mind you, I'm no expert on this stuff. I know how to drink it, but I don't know how to make it, right? So they have this, <laughs> this little machine that's grinding up the, you know, the grain in question, and they're malting it, and they're doing whatever they do. And, and then they're taking that product in a pipe, and the pipe goes up and across the ceiling and through a hole. And it goes into another building. I asked why, and they said, well, you know, 
The mother liquor doesn't explode, but the stills sometimes do. And I thought, well, that's good. So you keep that in another building, so you mm-hmm. sort of, of uh, you yeah. minimize your losses, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, this 9% thing, and I thought, okay, so here's the mother liquor. It goes up, it's pumped up across this pipe, and it goes over there to the stills, and it's turned into this really, really valuable product by, by the pound. You know, a good single malt whiskey is a pretty valuable product. For something is mostly water. Well, actually, at that point, it's not mostly water. They, the 57 degree north is actually mostly alcohol, but regardless, um, it goes up and goes across. And, and I was thinking about it and thinking, so if I had looked up there and instead of seeing that pristine pipe without a single drip coming off of it going over there, and instead 91% of the mother liquor was pouring out on the floor, do you think I'd say we have an alignment problem? Of course I wouldn't. I'd say we have a leakage problem, right? That's exactly. And exactly. do we know how good the mother liquor is if only 9% of it's getting over there what if the leakage is not at random? Or even what if it is at random? So how do we know how good the product is unless we can actually use the product? And so here we have a wonderful product for all we know, which is marketing's contribution in terms of MQLs. And sales does turn their nose up at it by and large, and they do it because people are hard to reach. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. So come on, give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell. Visit connectandsell.com. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. They actually do it for the same reason. It says, though, when the mother liquor got over there, you wouldn't even put it in the still because it's liquid. And you don't want to put a liquid in there. It's like, but that's the nature of it. It's the nature of interesting people who are worth talking with that they're hard to reach. In fact, the more interesting and valuable they are, the harder they are to reach. That's so true. so true. People are busy. It's so simple. They're like the mother liquor is liquid. Important people are busy. And this is not accepted by the individual sales rep who says the following. I tried to call them. They didn't answer. They must not like us. They must be disqualified. So you think about it, the the idea of disqualifying an inbound because they didn't answer the phone is very popular and applied to, oh, 91% of all inbounds at random. But it's worse than random. It's actually selectively applied to those that are the best. So the best leads are the ones least spoken to because they're the most important people and they're the most busy people. So Mm -hmm. the way I came up with that 9% was, as I said, that the policy is always call them six times. The policy is in the hands of the reps and the reps call them twice if they call them twice. If they're not busy faking a call somewhere else in order to make some sort of a ridiculous activity number. Guess what, by the way? When you do call somebody and you do get a hold of them, they tend to also still be busy. So there's a problem though. 
And the problem is not an efficiency problem or any of those kind of problems. The problem is it makes an open loop process. So your entire marketing budget's purpose is to generate MQLs that might be of value. And to convert them, you have to talk to them. You can't not talk to them. In B2B, nobody does business with you without talking to somebody. So without talking to them, they go away. They leave. So the purpose of marketing is to do what again? Is to generate leads, which are contacts with people who are potentially worth talking with. Not That's what I thought you said. For, for who? For you or for your competitors? Because oh, well, you had an interesting riff the other day when we talked about this, that the majority of the marketing expense, 91%, not only are pure waste, but that 91% of the marketing budget for your team is likely contributing to the success of your competitor, I think you were riffing about. Oh, which yeah. Which is very compelling. Well, think about it. You've stimulated somebody at this moment to take action. You're out of your mind if you think the only action they took was to come to your website. That doesn't happen. Anybody who is interested, in addition to being interested in whatever brilliant piece of content you put out there, your white paper, your this, your that, the other thing, right? They're interested, if they're worthwhile, in the question of whether somebody can help them solve a problem. Now, you might have zero competitors and no other way to help solve the problem, none whatsoever. That's possible. That's probably not a very interesting business. I mean, even we have competitors here at Connect and Sell for what they're worth. So what happens when you stimulate action? When somebody starts to take action, they're more inclined to continue to take action. Until they take action, they're pretty inclined to do nothing. I just was asked by some piece of software to take action that involved getting my phone and seeing some digits that were on it so I could do a two-factor authentication. But I didn't do that because I was here talking about to start talking with you. Now the chances of me taking that action have gone to zero, right? Had I done that, that action would have been followed by other actions. Because once you start taking action, there's action momentum. You do one thing after another. So here you've stimulated somebody to take the action of checking out you and your competitors. That's and right. now you chose to not speak with them. So so you're in other... working for your competitor at that point. So to further your analogy of going to Scotland, it's as if that leakage that you saw overhead was somehow being directed to the McAllen factory, the, the frog or the, uh, the Hennessy or wherever all that, that extra uh, mother liquor is going to some other competitor. They're generating it. They put the facility in place. They have the people who are putting in the raw materials, but it's just going right downstream to fill in somebody else's coffers. Yeah, and not only that, it's going downstream probably in a pipe that somebody put together, and there's a bus, tour bus out there waiting to take me to the other <laughs> distillery to buy their stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's really pretty appalling. And the only good news is everybody's doing it. And so, you know, you get lucky, right? You get lucky because if, if my 9% is fighting everybody else's 9%, then maybe we're all going to do okay. So maybe all That's I exactly have to right. Do. Maybe all I'm doing is wasting 91% of all the dollars. Now, if you're a venture finance company, then that means that you're giving up that additional part of your company to the venture finance folks. So you're actually, you're giving away the company 
the multiple of revenue you would have gotten as valuation that you're giving up by having that 9% be 9% instead of say 60%. 60% is actually achievable, very straightforward. So say you had 60%, what is that times nine? That's uh, roughly speaking, it's, it's around six. So here I got the 60%, right? It's not quite seven. And so I guess I would have seven times more revenue, assuming everything's linear, assuming that there's no special thing about the 91% you're not talking to. Turns out there is. They are better than the 9% you're talking to. But say there weren't a special thing. Say they weren't better. Say they're just the same. So now the just the same times six you could have had. But you chose not to have that, right? So that means the valuation impact of your marketing budget, which is often 20, 25, 30% of your company's entire budget, to what you were hoping for, which is maybe, I don't know, if you're a SaaS company, could be four, five, six, seven times revenue, right? So now you're giving that up. So say it's six times and you're giving it up at six times revenue, right? So you're giving up $36 for every, for every dollar you fail to talk to, so to speak. You spend a dollar on marketing, you fail to talk to them, and you give up 36 bucks of valuation. And you do it in the name of increasing valuation by spending money on marketing. So the response is to keep spending on marketing and keep spending on sales at the top of the funnel where you're overspending also probably by a factor of six because you're not talking to enough people. And then when that doesn't work, you go and you talk to the experts and say, how can I get sales and marketing on the same page? It doesn't matter or if they're worse, on the same page. Or worse, let's keep hiring sales reps because we have an abundance of marketing leads, or so yes. they think, but they're so really only being attempted once or twice. Yes. Yeah. And it's, remember always, it's the conversation flow rate, the flow rate of relevant conversations that drives the value of a business and drives its move into a marketplace that it wants to dominate. It is never anything else other than the flow rate of relevant conversations. Now, what do you have to do with them? You have to make them quality conversations. How do you do that? You focus on psychology, not on product. How do you do that? You build trust. We've, we've been through all of that kind of stuff, right? Build trust in the first seven seconds. Don't blow it over the rest of the relationship. There's a bunch of things you can do, but until you speak with them, you can't do any of those things. So you're either going to waste more money, spin your wheels, quite literally. It's like spinning your wheels, smell the smoke, enjoy the, the squealing, and then put up with grief because your marketing people are going to say the following. You know sales? You know those salespeople? They won't talk to our leads. And the salespeople are going to say, well, the leads suck. By suck, the salespeople mean I can't get a hold of them, right? And by great, the marketing people mean they're about as relevant as we can make them, given the information that we have. So they're talking about two completely different things. The misalignment actually is in the definition of something completely different. Sales says lack of reach, I can't get a hold of them, is low quality. Marketing says good targeting, as far as we can tell, is high quality. Without the feedback loop from coming from conversations, marketing will never know if they're telling the truth. And without talking to those prospects, those leads, sales will never know if they were any good. So how do you fix it? Talk to them. <laughs> talk, to talk, them. To talk to them. Talk to them. I mean, it's pretty simple. Talk to them, you know, and you're, you're not going to talk to all of them, but talk to the ones that will talk with you. So sure enough, you, you want to send them emails and do all that good stuff. And you're going to harvest whatever you're going to harvest. By the way, your competitor is doing exactly that. You want to win where your competitor is not winning. You know, you want to take what they got, fight them over there, right? But take the freebies. 
the free part of the market for you to dominate are all those folks your competitors are not talking to. So the ones that answer the phone generally the first time they're called, maybe everybody gets those. The ones where it takes two calls, maybe 50% uh, of everybody gets those. Now we're down to the ones that takes three or four. Now we're down to the busy people. If it, the, the more calls, navigated phone calls it takes to get a hold of somebody, the more valuable they are as a takeaway from your competitor because your competitor is not going to go down there. It's like we used to, uh, my climbing partner, Jim Haggart, and I used to, used to go hiking and climbing a lot in your neck of the woods, except up north, up in Grand Canyon. So we'd go down in there and wander around, uh, you know, go down one of those trails like the Hermit Trail and, and go over and see whether we could climb something ridiculous like this thing called the Monument. Don't ever go climb the Monument, by the way. It's, it's rotten at the base and scary as I'll get out. But we'd go around looking for, you know, opportunities to stand on the summit of things pointlessly and look around and say how beautiful it was and then make ourselves shake in our little climbing shoes as we repelled off some crappy anchor that we managed to put together up there. And we noticed something really obvious, but it's the same phenomenon. As you're coming back up out of Grand Canyon, you run into a line and we called it the flip-flop line. And the flip-flop line is the farthest the tourists will go down into Grand Canyon. And it's comically close to the rim. Now, thank God for the tourists, it's close to the rim because that is a dangerous place down there, especially when it's hot. You know, there you are on the rim, you're at whatever that is, you know, 6,000 feet, 7,000 feet, everything's great. You start down, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And a lot of tourists tend to show up and Sometimes a year that are pretty hot and they're gulled into it and they'll go down. But fortunately, most of them turn around by what we call the flip-flop line. All the beautiful places, all the cool places are way past the flip-flop line. So we had those to ourselves. We had market dominance when it came to the most beautiful parts of Grand Canyon. And as consumers of that beauty and of the fear that came with it, we wanted that dominance. So we were very happy that our competition, which was the tourists who'd come out of the tour buses, would only go down to the flip-flop line, which by the way, was just past a half a mile down in the canyon. And so you've got to go about 11 miles down the uh, Right Angel Trail to get down to the bottom, or 6.2 if I remember correctly off the top of my head. This is going back a few years here, Corey. Sure, sure. Uh, going down the uh, South Kaibab Trail. That's the rule. Now, of course, if you went out to one of the least frequented trailheads, that is, you've got a great marketing department that goes where the other people don't go. Flip-flop lines right at the top. Nobody even goes down those, right? So the more valuable the resource, in that case, the beauty of the canyon, in this case, those really good prospects, those leads that are hard to get a hold of, the more valuable they are, the less likely you are to talk to them. And now you get a skewed marketing signal back from sales. Sales will accidentally tell marketing the following, go get more of the ones that are easy to reach. That's what they'll say. That's right. That's but that's exactly not right. what you want. What you want are the ones that are worth the most, that are most likely to need what you have to offer, value it as it should be valued, pay a fair price for it, and best of all, work with you and your team to get the maximum value out of it so that they'll become a great reference and they will work with you and for you to help you dominate the market. So it's, it's all perverse where is it easy as being mistaken for, is it important? 
which I believe a lot of people do in almost every area of their life. But in this one, it's particularly devastating when applied to B2B. Well, it is common nature, human nature to say, listen, I confuse sometimes activity with kicking butt. And if I'm a sales rep and I'm getting a lot of low margin, high volume, one bagger, easy type of leads that are closed and converted, I get a pat on the head from my sales manager. My sales manager gets a pat on the head from the director and so on up the food chain. And we somehow think probably from a false positive perspective that we're actually dominating our market. We're well on our way. We're beating our numbers. But what I hear you saying is that, listen, clearly there are different flavors of customers based off of margin or ideal customer profile, which is a misnomer as, uh, as it is, which is a conversation we can have too somewhere one of these days. And so the more rich the nectar, the flavor is deeper. And those tough to reach prospects are worth it. That's where the gushers are. Those are the market makers. Those are the clients that are the influencers that have the reciprocal effect to tilt you in the direction of market dominance. So don't necessarily be fooled at the early stage when you can convert a lot of the quote unquote easier. In other words, your sales conversion rates may be too high early on and that may not necessarily be a positive. Yeah, I mean, there's a problem with low hanging fruit. Everybody else can pick it too. Mm-hmm. See, right. It's hard to compete based on being the best low hanging fruit kicker in the world. Sure, you gotta go get it. No reason not to. But you make market dominance happen a little farther up the tree. Now, we have a a situation just like you referred to, where one of our very, very best customers, in some ways, our very, very, very best customer at Connected Center. And if I look back, and I have looked back over the amount of time it took to get the first conversation, to have that conversation, to have the follow-up conversation, to have the follow-up to the follow-up, and the follow-up to the follow-up, and then finally the meeting, and then it got harder. And I will never forget until I forget everything. I have it strongly in my memory, a five-hour conversation that I had with two people at that company that went through Thanksgiving dinner, three hours on one side and two hours on the other side. And I was talking to him the whole time. And I finally finished and came down and said, you know, I'm glad that turkey's just as good cold as warm because that's how I'm going to be eating. But it was worthwhile. And maybe somebody else wouldn't have had that conversation. Maybe they would have been more sane than me. But the best customers tend to be the ones who ask the most questions, who are most interested in exploring most deeply. And they also tend to be the ones who are most busy. There's actually a correlation. It's a soft correlation, but it's a legit correlation between hard to reach and important and between good customer and not so easy. And so uh, there's a lot of let's go the easy way in sales. There's also the flip, which we've talked about, which is the dog trying to get through the chain link fence to get to the meat instead of backing up and seeing that there's a gate. So I'm not advocating being stupid, Mm -hmm. you know, and just Mm -hmm. pulling your way through every situation. So be circumspect. Think about it. Stand back every once in a while. Look at your situation. But don't mistake the dog that comes up and licks your hand for the one that's going to defend your house. 
show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.